You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us tonight. My very special guest today is New York Times bestselling author and veterinarian surgeon, Dr. Nick Trout. And Nick will be here talking to us uh, today about his recently released book, The Patron Saint of Lost Dogs. So we're excited to learn more about the book and learn more about what's going on in Nick's world. There's always fun and exciting things there. And uh, we're going to have a great time tonight. So thanks for joining us. Everybody hang tight. We're going to come right back after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Go to PetcoDeals.com and get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off hundreds of items at Petco. PetcoDeals.com. But, but that's not all. Are you talking to me? Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to AudibleDeals.com. That's AudibleDeals.com. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radial root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. Go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com. To order your Dyson Animal Back today. To PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining me now is Dr. Nick Trout. Talk to us about his latest book, The Patron Saint of Lost Dogs. Nick, welcome to the show. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me on. That's great. Uh, it's always great. It's always great to talk to you. Congratulations on the book and the success. And uh, tell us a little bit about The Patron Saint of Lost Dogs. So, uh, this is actually, I've written several books. This is my first novel, my first work of fiction. And this is the story of a young man, a veterinarian with a lot of baggage, a lot of problems going on in his life, who takes over his estranged and late father's veterinary practice up in rural Vermont. And in doing so, discovers all that's been missing in his life. Is the, uh, the challenges dealing with taking over the practice and getting hands-on with the animals, or is there more to Yeah, it? yeah. So, the, so the, I, you know, when I was thinking about writing fiction, I think like many animal lovers, you think about, okay, which veterinarian wrote the best fiction? And hands down, that's got to be James Herriot. Mm-hmm. And I was always a big fan growing up of uh, Mr. Herriot's wonderful books, All Creatures Great and Small. And I said to myself, you know, there was a, a character who was a new, naive, but passionate man about helping sick animals. He was learning the ropes as he started straight from veterinary school, learning how to handle animals and, just as importantly, how to handle the people who love them. 
And so I said, okay, I can't do that. I've got to do something a little different. So what about taking a character who uh, has a lot of veterinary knowledge but has virtually no experience working with animals and no experience dealing with the people who love them? And so what I set upon was to have someone who was a veterinary pathologist, someone who's very sharp but very bookish, doesn't have any experience dealing with living animals and has no experience dealing with people. And so you've got this person who's a bit of a social introvert who's now got to make a success of a general veterinary practice. He's got to learn to handle animals. He's got to learn to handle people. And I thought, what a fun way to create lots of drama and mystery and humor by doing that. Exactly. And you definitely accomplished that in the book. In writing the book, how did you first come up to decide that you wanted to write this particular book? Uh, did you have a, a series of ideas and you sort of said, okay, this is the one I want to do next? Or was it an epiphany? How'd that come about? Yeah, I, well, I think that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think, I think what happened was I wrote my first book, Tell Me Where It Hurts, was all about basically a, a crazy 24-hour period in, in modern veterinary medicine. And I've written a memoir as well, whatever, by my side. But what I wanted to do was to sort of really capture the sort of the fun, the drama, the entertaining aspect of what it means to be an animal doctor. And I wanted to, you know, there's so many pet related books out there. Um, I wanted to do something that was different from you know, I've discovered a dog, I've fallen in love with a dog, I've had to come to terms with losing a dog. That has been, you know, sort of, to some extent, overdone in that, you know, we've read these wonderful stories, but you just can't keep doing that. And I thought, well, one of the nice things about writing fiction is it doesn't have to be about me. You know, I work in a very busy, state-of-the-art animal hospital in Boston, and if I start talking about this character, it doesn't have to be me. This person can sort of air maybe ideas that may be controversial. May I can get this person to fall in love. I can get this person to totally embarrass himself. You know, I can do things with this character that I couldn't professionally do myself. And so it, it started to unfold as this opportunity to say, I see these great cases, heartwarming, heartrending, sometimes hilarious cases that come through the door every day, but sometimes they're not quite right. And here's this chance to bend the truth, to cherry pick the best cases, and always, if I want to, to give them a happy ending. There you go. And we're always always looking for a happy ending. But I, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's a lot of great books out there and we need those kind of pet-related books, animal-related books that touch your heart and get you to get back in touch with the animal world. But it's, uh, it's a different story getting into fiction, though. I, I, I agree with you. It allows you to create this character. But how do you decide as a writer as an, which character to create? What kind of persona it's going to take? Do you pull from Yeah, I mean, I or? just wanted someone, you know, it comes back to, I think, to some extent, the, the James Herriot stories. Everyone loves James Herriot. They love that compassionate, warm, understanding, determined, if occasionally naive guy, you know, that he didn't have much experience to start with, but his heart was always in the right place. He's always trying to do the right thing by the animal. And so I wanted to create someone who... As the book evolves, you can see this person starting to melt. You can see these animals as he 
seems at first a little indifferent to start to work on him, start to get to him, start to really, you know, play with his heart. And I think that's what, you know, I see from time to time. I see, see clients coming in and they may have this tough exterior, you know, yeah, I'm here to help my, my dog or cat, but I'm, you know, it's sort of an obligation. But the bottom line is they really care. And these are the first people who will be, you know, crying if anything happens because they do truly care. And what I wanted to do was to tap into the, you know, the sort of the secret undercurrent of what we truly feel for our animals if you dig deep enough. And this guy starts to slowly through the course of the book break down. And he may have this harsh exterior, but by the end of the book, you realize like the animal lovers who read the book, he's one of us. Exactly. So then as a, um, as a full-time day job, you're a veterinarian surgeon and you deal with all these cases every day. How does one go from being a veterinarian surgeon to a best-selling author? <laughs> <laughs> um, there is uh, a great deal of luck and no magic formula in that. I would tell you that, you know, tell me where it hurts. My first book has been sold into, I don't know, 14, 15 different languages. But that book, when I first wrote it, no one would buy it. I could not even sell it to some small university presses. They just weren't interested. And then a certain little book called Marley and Me came along and everything changed in the pet book writing industry. Pet books suddenly took off and were incredibly popular and they still obviously continue to be so today. But for me, it was a case of persistence and good timing. I think it's, you know, I'm essentially have the scientific background. I've been brought up in the world of, of medicine. And so writing for me is something I enjoy, but it's a completely different escape from what is my normal day job. And I've learned an awful lot about the publishing industry, not least of which is it's incredible, incredibly fickle. You can't, you can't predict what's going to be a success and what's not. And you just sometimes get lucky. And, and I would tell you, I've been very lucky. Yeah, well, well, you had to put together great material to begin with, and you know, I would agree with you on the luck and definitely the fickleness. Uh, it changes daily. It seems like um, a book that twenty people told you that would never be successful. The twenty-first person takes it, loves it, and next thing you know, you got a bestseller. Wouldn't you agree? As an author, as a writer, you have to have a good basis. You have to have a good story, and you have to be able to touch yeah. the people that are going to read it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me. I was speaking in Florida one time and I was asked to confess something that not many people would know about, about me. And I said, my formal education in English language and English literature stopped at age 16 because I was, I went to school in England and it's a very different educational system. So I've had no formal training since the age of 16, which for me now seems like an awfully long time ago. <laughs> and, and so, my writing voice, if you will, is lacks any kind of formal training. It just is the way I perceive a story. And that's what I try to get across. It's my take on a story. It's been interesting writing fiction because, of course, I've got to get my head inside a character and tell a story from that character's perspective, not my own. But I think, you know, the essence of this is I happen to have just a do you think I should go take some writing classes and they've jumped all over me and said no don't do that you just gotta just do what you do because whatever it is it seems to work so 
I don't know what the magic formula is. I'm not sure I have it all the time, but uh, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. Yeah, we definitely want you to continue to do that. Well, looking back on Tell Me Where It Hurts, you said it, it took a long time. Do you have a ballpark of what that time was between when you started pitching yeah. that till actually took off? Yeah, I think I, I wrote the you know 150-page proposal for Tell Me Where It Hurts, I think back in 2004, and it, I didn't get a publishing deal until 2006, and it came out in 2008. And so it was a it was a good four year period of, as any writer knows, incredibly massive pile of rejection, both from originally from agents and then ultimately from publishers. And which was uh, more difficult to attract a, a good agent to work with or any agent to work with nowadays? Or yeah, I mean, I think I think the sold. biggest the biggest thing I would I don't know enough writers to get a sense of this, but the biggest frustration for me is you do this work, you set up, you put yourself out there, and you don't get any sense of are you close? Is it any good? Am I doing something wrong? And you you know you're forced to have to believe in yourself and keep going, even though your all your meeting is rejection. Uh, my wife just could not believe that I could keep going with all the negativity that I was drowning in. But, you know, I think, as you say, you come back, it comes back to the fact that I'm blessed to do what I do. I'm in this unique position of the material just pouring in and you just got to, you know, I just got to look at this and go, no, I think this might be a good story. No, this has got a, a fabulous you know, emotional bite to it that you, you are completely drawn in and, and want to discover what's going on. And, you know, it, that happens on a daily basis. It's interesting how veterinarians and students or whatever will say, hey, let me tell you about this case. And it's, you know, they may have a little feature that would work, but it's got to be the total package. That's why, to some extent, when I get these little bits, it, it actually works really better for fiction because you can take that and go, no, I'm just going to bank that for a while and mold it into something at a later date. All right, we're going to take a quick little break here, but I want to expand on that a little bit more and learn more about how these professional stories, professional experiences help you in writing the book. We're going to take a quick commercial break here and let our sponsors get a word in. Uh, We'll continue our conversation with Dr. Nick Trout after these messages. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Family. They understand me. That's how I love. 
Love My Pets, the new single by Mark Winter, available on iTunes. Hi, everybody. I'm Megan Blake here with my sidekick, Super Smiley. The giant mutt and spokes dogs are throwaways. You're listening to Pet Life Radio, and I'd like to tell you about our brand new show, A Super Smiley Adventure. Our show explores adventures with animals. They can be traveling out in the world trips or inner journeys where our animals lead us to inspiration and self-discovery or just plain fun adventures. Join us here on Pet Life Radio on A Super Smiley Adventure. Good boy. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm here with Dr. Nick Trout talking about his latest book, The Patron Saint of Lost Dogs. Now, Nick, right before the break, we talked about your professional experiences, you know, being a veterinarian surgeon and the the daily uh, activities you have, the animals that come in, the people that come in are great for the storytelling. How do you glean which ones to pull from, as you mentioned, which ones to bank for later, these stories that you can massage into a uh, great book, just like you did with the uh, the patron saint of lost dogs? So I would tell you the the first thing I have to do is uh, make sure that if I am going to talk about someone, it's okay with them. Uh, Obviously, with the fictional aspect, you know, I'm going to totally take everything out of context. But if it's these nonfiction situations I've written about before, you know, the best of my abilities, I'll always be trying to uh, make sure that um, the person knows that I'm going to write about them. And I would tell you these days when when I'm seeing uh, appointments, there are a large number of people who will rip me about, oh, are you going to write about me because I'm strange or quirky or my pet's a little funny? <laughs> Boy, do and, I have a story to tell you. You want to include yeah. me in your next book, right? That's well, thing. that's right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and you know that's what they're angling for. And many times uh, I'll be happy to do that. But I think what I'm looking for is either something that is blatantly hilarious and, you know, sometimes these stories will just strike me as, you know, just I, the stuff you, you just can't make this stuff up. For example, I remember in one of the books I wrote about a woman who had a blue tree frog that was her pet. And she used to go around with this in the manner of Paris Hilton in her cleavage. It was a it was just a pet that that's where the pet sat. And this Poor Frog came through our exotics department, appearing to be paralyzed, just unable to move its little limbs. And it turned out that the woman had used a Victoria's Secret breast firming cream that happened to have some sort of neurotoxin in it for this, for this that was absorbed through the frog's skin. And I'm saying, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> this is just incredible. And so... Those kind of things do come along, and then there will be, you know, just heart-rending cases of, you know, a client. Uh, I remember a gentleman not so long ago, you know, who's in his 80s, he comes in, he has the love of his life, a big Great Dane lab mix, and the dog has a, a tumor on its leg, and this tumor is in the bone, and it's potentially very debilitating, and he has this very worldly way about him of knowing that the clock is ticking on his relationship with this dog and it's not it's not a big moment it's not 
a long period of time that I have this exchange with this client, but it's incredibly touching and it just brings you back to the essence of what animals do for us and how they can impact our lives by virtue of the simplicity of the relationship we share with them. So, you know, that, that in itself is not a big story, but, you know, it just chokes you up right. and, and is this new grounding, if you will, for you know, what matters in life. And I think that's why pet stories are so successful to some extent in that they really simplify in our chaotic world what matters. I have to believe, and I've seen this myself over the last 10 to 20 years, you know, the shift of the cat, the dog, the gerbil, whatever, from a peripheral to a very central member of the family. And that is really based upon, at least to my way of thinking, that we value the, the change of pace, the simplicity of the emotional exchange, the dedication of the animal, the fact that you know they will always be there through thick and thin. And I have to believe that is all that is missing in our chaotic, you know, Facebook-driven iPod world gets sorted out and simplified if we just spend a little time with our pets. And sometimes when I'm writing, that's what I'm trying to capture. Exactly. Yeah, and I think you hit it right on the head. Is the fact that you know it, it is a chaotic world. It's getting more chaotic uh, every single day. But our animals don't feel that. Or if they feel it, they, they try to uh, take that energy elsewhere and bring us back into the reality that you know life is simple. It's, we're here to enjoy it in the moment. And uh, by the way, give me some more treats. <laughs> well, that's right. And uh, get off my couch or open that refrigerator for me. Exactly. But I think, yeah, I mean, it really, that's part of the appeal to me that everything gets simplified. You know, it's this, what I call love without the risk. You know, you, you get to have this wonderful time with an animal. Unfortunately, it is a finite time. And we embrace our animals in the same way as we do children, knowing that we're likely to outlive them, that we go against the sort of normal order of things. But we, we do it all the same because they are such a special part of our lives. Yeah, exactly. Now, writing this book, writing the novel, tell us a little bit about the challenges of it or the ease of it, if there is, compared to all the other. Because you've had some great nonfiction books and memoirs and uh, great stories have been very successful. Now, all of a sudden, you come out with a novel. What are the little differences that makes it easier or maybe a heck of a lot harder? Oh, it's a lot harder. Fiction is a whole lot harder because it has to work. I'd never really thought about, you know, if you have a character and this is how you've put them out there, then everything they do has to be in keeping with that character. And I'm, you know, before when I'm writing nonfiction, the plot has already been written for me. I just got to find a way to make the telling of that story interesting. In this world, in Cyrus's world, in Patron Saint of Lost Dogs, I have to make sure that every interaction works. And even, you know, when you're giving a character backstory, that their history works that the timeline works. And so it's, it's very, you know, it's very uh, mind-blowing, if you will, to try and hold all this information of all the interactions that are going on throughout the book, that they all come together and actually work. Yeah, because you have to revisit that because once we, uh, we as readers buy into a character or buy into a scene, the slightest nuance can be detected and uh, 
sort of make our heads scratch, saying, well, wait a minute. Yeah, did, absolutely. Did I, um, I was fortunate to become a sign uh, of Art of Racing in the Rain fame, was, uh, read, read my book for me and actually wrote uh, for it, blurbed it. And he found some little thing about something to do with one of the characters and their timeline in high school and fortunately pointed it out to me and we corrected it. And his reason for doing that was because someone in one of his books had talked about huskies in Alaska and that those dogs had not been imported into the state of Alaska at a certain time. It was some very fine detail that he'd been called on and he wanted to make sure the same problem didn't happen to me. So if it can happen to Gerstein, it can happen to anyone. There you go. So make sure you edit it, edit it, edit it, and re-edit it, and then get some great experts to edit it some more, and then maybe yeah, you'll be really. <laughs> I think that's the story of it. Well, Nick, it's, it's great to talk to you, as always. Congratulations on the success of uh, the patron saint of lost dogs. Tell everybody a little bit about how they can find out more about the book, purchase it, and uh, yeah, he's going on. So the, the book's available now at uh, all good booksellers. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or Powell or at your local indie bookstore. And if you want more information, uh, go to my website. It's www.drnicktrout.com. All right, very good. Everybody, check out the website. Find out more about Nick and all the activities going on. Pick up a copy of the book. You'll love it. It's The Patron Saint of Lost Dogs. Great novel by Nick Trout. Uh, Nick, thanks once again for coming on the show. We appreciate you being here on uh, Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Oh, thanks, Tim. It's been great to, to talk to you. Thanks very much. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank once again uh, Dr. Nick Trout for coming on and talking about his book, The Patron Saint of Lost Dogs. Thanks to our sponsors and producers for making the show happen, too. Uh, to find out more about me, Tim Lank, and the other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show and the stories in my blog, you can go to PetLifeRadio.com. That's PetLifeRadio.com. Click on the Animal Rights icon and uh, download those episodes and interviews and download this one as well. You'll be really pleased you did. While you're there, uh, be sure to check out all the other hosts and shows on Pet Life Radio. There's a plethora of great entertainment. It's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me. You can email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. That's Tim at PetLifeRadio.com, and I'll be glad to answer your questions, uh, entertain your comments, and try to bring on the authors and writers you want to hear from the most. So until next time, uh, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, article, or in a book. And who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.